All right. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. And we I just heard you sing that we sing hallelujah. Is that true? We sing hallelujah? When we sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah to Christ. We're singing about God, even in the midst of a three-surgery week, right? We trust Him for that. And so uh, that's what we're doing as a church. We're compelling ourselves and others to Christ. And we do it the best way we can in the midst of difficult or question or nervous or hope, whatever it is. Um, and we do it in ways that are casual so that you all can get beyond uh, what you look like or where you've been or what you've done and you can just get to worshiping. And we do that for others as well, hopefully. So that we can be a community that promotes God in other communities as well. And it's kind of fun that that's kind of our tagline of church because this morning we're going to be in a passage where we're in a different community. Jesus is going to go to a different culture. It's going to be kind of interesting. It's a super short one, but it's fun. Uh, so that's what we're doing. We're going to be Matthew chapter 15 this morning, uh, starting with verse 21. We started the chapter last week. We're going to finish this week. And Jesus has been traveling pretty much everywhere throughout Israel. He's been down Jerusalem. He's up at Sea of Galilee. He's been both sides of, I like to call it the lake because it's not as big. We say sea and you think it's huge, but uh, he's been north side, south side. He's been east and west. He's been up in the hills, down in the valleys. He's gone to most of the towns. He's going everywhere. He's doing a ton of ministry, teaching, healing, Raising from the dead, walking on water, correcting disciples, and, and really getting on the Pharisees' case. Stumping them in some of their questions. Uh, and he's been through a lot already. Uh, and he's going to take a weird left turn in just a minute. Before we do that, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. God, thank you. Uh, bless us. Bless this time. And Lord... Uh, Help us to trust that you're in control. And forgive us when we think we're in control. Teach us to have faith in your control. And show us how to avoid the fear and the doubt of our own control. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this passage this morning, you'd help us with that. That was my week, Lord. I don't know what the weeks were like for any of those here, Lord, but I pray that you'd speak to each of them individually through your word, by the guidance of your spirit, this morning. Specific, individual, clear, that they might hear from you, understand, and be able to hit the, the ground running, pursuing what you've called them to this week. We pray for that in this time in your word. And we pray that it will glorify and honor your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray it. And Rock Bible Church said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there, from all of the things I just described in the intro before the prayer, all the different ministries and places. And, and it says, and withdrew, like got away from 
to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so we're off to a couple new towns, an area. Now, what many of you might not know, we're not in Israel anymore. Some would like to say, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? Um, where, where are you going, Jesus? We're not to the, uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel anymore. We're much north. We're out on the coast. Uh, different culture, different background, different heritage, different faith. Um, boy, you're, you're kind of way out there now. Not, not really same type of condition and culture as you would find in Sea of Galilee, in the Decapolis and Jerusalem and that kind of thing. Um, and so it's kind of curious, like all of a sudden, he, it's like he just took up, up north, up northwest, went out to the coast. I, maybe he wanted fish tacos. I don't know. <laughs> and behold, a Canaanite, where are we? We're in the Canaan area. We're kind of north of what would be called traditional Israel back then and definitely north of what would be called Israel now. Uh, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O what? O Lord. What's she call him? She calls him by title. She calls him God. And just to make sure that everybody who was watching was clear and that Jesus was clear, that she was clear on who he was, she qualifies the statement of, O Lord, with what? Son of David. That's a title from prophecy, from history, from tradition. She knows exactly who Jesus is. She's basically calling him Messiah, the one of prophecy. Um, is she confused? Canaanite, right? She's supposed to believe something else. Oh, by the way, woman too. In that culture, does a woman go and address directly a male leader of another culture? Generally not. But she's crying. She's maybe hysterical. Something is very important to her. What is it? She says, my daughter is severely oppressed. Not just oppressed, severely oppressed. I don't know if I understand the difference between those two. By a demon. And here's, here's why I get, where I get a little bit bothered. I want an explanation. You see, Jesus, you're not in Jerusalem. You're not in, even in Israel. You're, you're not in the land of Yahweh, Elohim. You're up north, a totally different area, and what are you doing up there? Secondly, where'd the demon come from? You know, for the most part, we've seen demons in Israel, in the traditional area that's being oppressed, that God's trying to reach his people. All of a sudden, we're outside of that area, and we've got a demon outside of that area. So she says... Who knows how accurate she is. This is her perception, but this is what she proclaims. I think my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. We're way out here. Why? God, what's going on here? It's, it's fairly confusing. And here's the problem. We'll get little to no explanation as to why. 
Jesus takes a left turn, goes way up north, north left, west, and ends up in this area, runs into a woman he, he traditionally wouldn't be talking to, and she comes to him and calls him something she wouldn't traditionally call him, and then the issue is a demon that traditionally wouldn't be in that area anyways. Wow, it's all way out there. What's harder is how Jesus addresses it at first and to watch the interaction because it, it, it bothers me a little. I think it'll bother you until we finally get through it. Okay? Severely oppressed by a demon, verse 23, but he did not answer a word. Jesus, you gave her the silent treatment? A woman, different gender, from a Canaan, a different culture, and a different religion. I mean, these are all the politically correct things. Like, you should respond. And, and you go silent on her? Does anybody want to know where Jesus went? What? This doesn't feel right, does it? Is he ignoring her? Or is he waiting? Is he blowing her off or is he being patient? Let's see. Did not answer her word and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away. She's crying and she's crying out after us and she's high maintenance and she's really loud and she's not user friendly. She posts way too much on social media. This, this, is, this is bothersome. I'm not sure where we're going or what we're doing, Jesus, but that, this can't be the issue. So can you send her away? Really kind of a horrible question, isn't it? Jesus goes silent, and the disciples use the opportunity to kind of maybe follow suit. We're not sure if that's the suit, but we're going to follow what we think it might be. And Yeah, let's dismiss her. He's not responding. Let's get rid of her. And you know what it really feels like to me? This thing is starting to bug me as I'm getting more experienced. I've decided I want to start using that rather than saying getting older. I shall never get old. I will get more experienced. Right? Um, I'm, I'm tiring on the desire to avoid work that I see around me regularly. Oh, let's skip that. It's going to be too much work. Let's do this. It'll be easier. Hey, let's do that. We can cut a corner. We can save time. We can save money. Rather than let's do what's best or, hey, let's, let's put a little work in. Uh, reference the discussion on elbow grease and best and good in the last sermon. Right? Uh, it seems like the disciples have an opportunity to do ministry here. And they opt for easy. As some who were part of raising me long ago would say, they opted for lazy. You're picking lazy rather than the opportunity to engage and invest. Begged him, said, didn't ask him, begged him, send her away. Verse 24, okay, he answered, great, Jesus is going to step in and correct him, right? He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Ouch. Boy, that just got worse. First you give her the silent treatment, and now you're, you're telling her she's, out, she's on the outside? Gosh, I don't like this. In Western culture, 2018, I really don't like this. Because, boy, what does this look like to outside world? 
What does it look like to non-Christians, to critics of the Bible? But she came and knelt before him. Oh, by the way, if you're only to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, why are you up in Tyre and Sidon? What are you doing up there? So it's almost like Jesus is giving us clues by his actions that something's going on here. But by his silence or his words, he's kind of throwing us off a little. Would it be that Jesus could ever mess with us a little just to get us on track? I hope so, because that means he's more fun. He said, I'm only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verse 25. But she came and knelt before him. She came and what? Not just knelt. She knelt before him. That's a posture, that's a position of worship. Now, we're going to keep score. She called him all Lord. She called him son of David. And she said, have mercy on me, which is implying he has the power and ability to do more than just pat her on the back and say, I hope you feel better. That mercy from him would mean actual solution, physical solve. Here, he, here she comes, fourth act, she kneels before him. Is she clear on who he is? And yet he's maybe ignoring her? Delaying at least? She came and knelt before him saying, and what a great reduction of her initial request down to just the important. Lord, help me. It's a great prayer. I like that prayer better than most of mine. Because when I, when I need help, I have a hard time. Oh, Lord, Father of Israel, creator of all that I see in every day. You know my inner thoughts. No, God, help. Right? This is the only prayer I might like more than Lord, help me, is God, help. Right? It's two, two words. I can get it out faster. Right? Maybe we can get the process started. Uh, she's now implying that he can help. And he answered, verse 26. Now we're going to get help, right? It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, ooh is right. Thank you for best response of the day. Ooh, just when I thought it couldn't get worse. What, what did he just do? Now that's what our culture would say. Our culture would say, oh, you just called a woman a dog. Maybe. Uh, but he did not address her in 2018 Western United States culture, did he? Is back in that day, here's a woman that shouldn't be talking to this man addressing him. So she's ignoring cultural norms. And so he's saying, well, you know, I have a ministry and a projection, a mission to be on task, I'm supposed to be reaching Israel because they haven't got it for generation after generation. They're totally lost, and I have to catch them first so that we can then later go and catch everybody else. I think that's what he's saying. Because we can't take his word at ultimate truth that he's only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel because later on he pulls Peter aside and says, Peter, go get them all. Not just the Jews. He pulls Paul aside, go get them all. Not just my children. 
Not just that one ethnicity. I want all, right? I want any. What he does here is he goes analogy. He wants to explain something. But it's kind of interesting. Like, she comes up, says, Oh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, right? He goes silent. Then the disciples say, Hey, can you send her away? That's when Jesus decides to speak? These disciples are missing the point, and they're, they're not in need. This lady is, and yet when she speaks, you, you, you go silent. When the boys speak, because they're just a little bit off and they have no need, that's when you decide to speak? It's kind of interesting. She says, well, I don't care about any of that. I'm going to kneel right in front of him. Lord, help me. He says, all right, I'm going to take this opportunity to go analogy. She's going to get something, and now i got the boys paying attention, the disciples, I kind of wonder if it was a delay tactic to make sure that he drew a crowd and had everybody's attention. Did Jesus teach people one-on-one at times? Yes. But how many examples do we have of Jesus waiting until there was a huge crowd and now it's showtime? Not that he was trying to put on a show, but he's got more eyeballs, more brains, more hearts paying attention. He can get the message out to more people. I think that's part of what's going on here. And then he's using an analogy that wasn't meant to be offensive to her. It was meant to teach something. And by the way, are any of us tired of the easily offended? The thin-skinned, everything's an offense, and no one can handle it? How about we listen for a little while and see what he's trying to get to? You know, because in some cultures, like the Berglund family... The dog is worshipped. It is member of family. In fact, the dog is esteemed higher than father. Do you, the dog gets to be in the house. Right? You don't take the, the food for the kids and give it to the dog. It's like, well, yeah, but the dog's at least in the house. That's pretty good. Do you know none of my kids ever check to see if I get to eat? They, ne- they never feed me. They've never brushed my hair. They've never cleaned up after me. Let's just stop the analogy there. Um, uh, being a dog might not be a bad thing in a lot of ways. You're in a family, you're in a social network. And what's interesting is how she responds to it, right? Because she could have been offended. But she teaches us one of the greatest things you could learn about an interaction with the Lord. When the Lord talks to you, you know what your first response is? Verse 27, she said... Yes, Lord. That's your first response. Yes, Lord. Oh, we're talking about kids and dogs and we're doing an analogy? Great. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Oh, we're doing an analogy? Great. I'll be the dog. And this is what I know about the dogs in that analogy. Here's how I can use it to my advantage. Because I still want your attention. I'm not going away. I will be persistent in my pursuit of you. This Canaanite woman, least likely to teach us about how to pursue and be persistent with the Lord, ends up being one of the best teachers of how to be pursuant and persistent of the Lord. How cool is that? Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. What'd she just call him? Wow. 
Lord, twice, son of David, mercy, help, knelt before him. Now she's calling him master. She's he's calling him a lot of names, isn't he? Name caller. Verse 28, then Jesus answered her. Oh, woman. Oh, we're out of analogy now. He's finally addressing her. And how many do you think are paying attention in that environment? All of them. Right? Oh, woman. Great is your faith. How cool a statement is that? For someone who shouldn't have faith because of how she was brought up and where she was brought up. Probably shouldn't be addressed by him as a male leader of a different religion and a different culture that's just not common practice back then. And Jesus says, oh, we're, we're throwing out cultural norms? Great. Woman, you got great faith. This is awesome. Because you just told me everybody was paying attention, which means the disciples, which I'm going to give them a new name in a little minute, the disciples are paying attention. What was said to the disciples about their faith just recently? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Boys, here's why we didn't send her away. Not because she was too loud for you, but because she knows what it's like to have great faith. And you need to learn it because apparently you've spent enough time with the Messiah, but you're still not getting it. I need other ways to teach it to you. Maybe you should start paying attention to Canaanite women because there's something to learn. What a cool lesson from a, a cool God. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Whoa. Fast forward. September 2nd. 2018, when we do things, we do things based on the will of God, the Lord, right? In fact, we've seen verses where Jesus teaches, let us not say, or, or whoever teaches, let's not say that on such and such a day we'll go to such and such a town, conduct business, make money, and profit. Instead, we should say, if the Lord wills. We will go here and there or not. Make a decision based on our will. Yet what does he say to this Canaanite woman? He says, be it done for you as the Lord wills. No. As you desire. A woman can have a desire that's important to God. Someone of a different culture can have a desire that's a priority to God. And he, and he doesn't just say, hey, good start, nice try. Eventually we'll get to the right place. He says, no, may it be done for you. We're going to make this happen. Now, I love the idea that uh, all things are done by God according to his will. And we should trust in that and believe in that and pray for that and pursue that. Is it possible when it comes to God... And now you know the answer to the question before I finish it, right? Is it possible when it comes to God? But now you know the answer. Whatever I say is going to say yes, right? That in the midst of his, his will and our pursuit of it, because he will get it no matter what, that he might pay attention 
to our desire once in a while. Might give us, bless us, reward us, uh, stricken us (laughs) with our desire. I think that's awesome. Because I have learned that God can tell me no. Anybody else learned that? I've learned it many a time. (laughs) It's very good at telling me no. What I'm working on and starting to enjoy is when is it that he will tell me yes for the things that I want? And how does that work in conjunction with his will and his sovereignty and what's right and it's good? Wow, how do I... How do those things go together? Not always do they. But at times, here at least for this woman, her desire, not his, capital H, not the Lord's, not son of David's. No, may it be done for you as you desire. What do you want? And have you done, have you done the prerequisites? Calling him by name, knowing him by title, kneeling before him. You know, you know what I mean? Because I think, I think that's part of the equation. I think there is an equation there. And her daughter was healed a couple months later. No? What's that word? Instantly. See, just when you thought it got as good as it could get, that the Lord might be able to give you your desire. He might be able to give you your desire, might want to give you your desire, might actually give you your desire. Now. Zero weight. That's kind of fun. Because you know the phrase, instant gratification has gotten a really bad rap over the years. I think there might be a place for it within God's economy within God's theology that things can happen in an instant. Love that. I would love to be clear in an instant, corrected in an instant, redirected in an instant, rather than just to want the car of my dreams in an instant. I think the first set of things is much better than any kind of material possession or any kind of other gain that you might get but a knowledge and an understanding of the Lord that comes instantly when the, in the pursuit of him. Is there a greater value? If there is, I've yet to learn it. Her daughter was healed instantly. And he went on from there, verse 29, walked beside the Sea of Galilee. You left Tyre and Sidon? What? I thought you were only coming for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't have time. I will not even answer her question or request. In fact, boys, don't tell me to send her away. It's not my problem. How'd you already leave then? Why'd you go up there in the first place? What's going on? If you're only near the house of Israel and lost sheep, why'd you take this mad left turn all the way up to Tyre and Sidon? This Canaanite woman you said you won't engage with, and then you engage with her, and as soon as the engagement's over and the daughter is healed, oppression's gone, which, by the way, side note, I love that the demon gets almost no press. It's a horrible business to be in. It's just thankless. <laughs> Things over, and he's back down to see a galley. Now, 
Could it be that God, at some times when he says things, and be very careful about this, says things to go fishing rather than to direct an absolute truth? The boys who don't haven't figured out that they need to feed the 5,000 rather than send them away. The boys that haven't figured out that instead of freaking out on the boat, they should trust the Lord. If they wanted to walk out on the water, they could. But when they get out on the water, they should trust and believe. These boys that keep sticking their foot in their mouth and doing the wrong thing and asking the wrong questions, like, can we send her away? They're missing the point. And he's trying to get their attention and everybody's attention by going fishing with some of the things that he says. Like, I'm only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Rather than saying that as an absolute truth as if for all eternity. Because folks, if he doesn't do that, we've just wasted the first hour of your Sunday. Because we're not the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we got a whole ministry based on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. In fact, I think I sang, we sang it this morning. His body on the cross, right? So he couldn't have meant it absolutely as a truth for all time. He might have been fishing to see how they would respond, to see how she would respond. And boy, he got a great response from her, didn't he? He caught a whopping fish on that one. Scott, you called her a fish? It's not so bad. Jesus called her a dog, right? Uh, He didn't catch anything with the boys. In fact, the boys are still confused. Uh, Let's get to the new name we're going to give them here pretty quick. Jesus went on from there, verse 29, to the Sea of Galilee. When he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the best, the people that were wealthy, those that could teach a little bit with good resources. No, no, no. Bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, the difficult, the complainers, the high maintenance, the unwanted, brought to him the most work. Remember what I was talking about earlier? Are you trying to chase lazy or you're trying to do ministry? And they put them where? At his feet. Two different stories now. Both of them say this. Knelt at his, knelt before him and put him at his feet. Is that significant? Yes, absolutely. Tells us a position of where we're supposed to be. And he dealt with them as he needed to from time to time. Uh, Took care of the ones that he liked, but the loud ones he sent away. No. What did he do? He healed them. How many? Don't you love the implication? One sentence, five words, four words. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. He shows the boys, this is why we're here. Compassion. Stick to it. Might even have to go out out of our way at times 
to do things. Verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Was Jesus persistent with these people? How many days did he spend with them? It's a long time to be around the mute, the blind, the lame, the crippled. And the disciples, they might be more work than the others. And did he have compassion on them? Was the woman persistent? Did he have compassion on her? Yeah. Did, did the disciples always have compassion? No. Don't worry. You don't have that problem. <laughs> Hence the title, the two themes that you see throughout several of the different stories in this, you know, uh, 19 verses. Persistence and compassion. I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Does this sound familiar? Did we have this story already? Here's what I want you to notice. Last time, who brought up the crowd and we were out of food? Who brought up that topic? The disciples, affectionately known as the boys, about to get a new title. This time, who brings it up? Jesus. Let's see if we've made any progress, guys. I'm unwilling to send them away, hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Lord, send them away. It's too much work. Isn't that what they said last time? Isn't that what they said about the lady? The boys are learning. They're not very bright, but they're learning. Because they didn't say send them away. They said, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Last time they had a great cry, I said, send them away because we don't have enough food. Jesus says, oh, no, we got food. And he solved it. Probably the guys are trying to figure out what's going on here because they, get, they got blindsided by this Canaanite lady and now all these lame blind beggars and the whole thing are going on. And, and now we've got a crowd again. And was that last one a one-time thing? Well, let's at least not ask the same question as we've, we've been burned on the last couple times. Okay, Jesus, what do you want to do about the food? Who's catering? <laughs> Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? That sounds familiar. You got almost the same structure as the previous time when a story like this was told. They said, a few loaves and a few small fish. Is that what they said? No. Matthew, Matt, I like to call him because we're going to be friends one day. Uh, he says seven. I want you to hold on to that because that's going to that's gonna pop out at us in a little bit. Uh, by the way, seven in uh, numerology in the Bible, seven is like the perfect number, right? Seven days of creation, right? That kind of thing. Uh, seven loaves and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, verse 36, he took the seven loaves. He's told us twice now. And the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up a few baskets full of broken pieces left over. What I leave out? Seven. Three times we get seven. Three, a perfect number in numerology in the Bible. And seven, a perfect number in numerology in the Bible. They started with seven loaves. He had a perfect amount to start. And Jesus says, let me redefine for you what perfect looks like, guys. 
I know you have a lot of questions. You forgot I have all the answers. Let me show you what perfect looks like on a basket level, you basket cases. Hence their new title. I'm going to call them that for a little while, just for fun. Uh, Namely, because I are one. Right? I watch them, I see myself. I don't see myself the Canaanite woman. She had great faith. I'm of little faith. Why do you doubt? That's me. I get out of the boat, I sink. I ask the wrong questions and I chase lazy too often. Right? Seven loaves of fish and having given, picks up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were four thousand, so we know it's a different story. Not 5,000, this time it's 4,000. Besides women and children who also ate, just weren't counted as part of the 4,000. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went on to the region of Magadan. Where's he going? He's going to next. I'm going to keep doing this because I'm God, I'm Jesus. In fact, this was no big deal. I solved a whole bunch of stuff in a short amount of time that looked impossible and I did it to teach people and prove who I was and I'm going to keep doing it. In fact, I don't run out of energy. I don't get surprised. And I'm persistent in my compassion. Oh, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? I think that we get these stories in this order and Jesus lives them out in that order and help in in one way to show us this idea of persistent compassion. We kind of have like three scenarios maybe, maybe just two depending on how you want to look at it. We have areas where there's persistence and compassion in all of them. I think it's meant for us to learn that because we're not good at it. And if we're going to be that, here's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to adjust to our target audience. Adjust to your target audience. I love what the, what the lady does. She comes in. Her name's Percy, by the way. Did you know this? She was persistent. Percy. That's what I'm calling her. She doesn't give her a name. So I'm naming everybody, right? I've got the basket cases and Percy. Uh, she walks in and Jesus uh, ignores her. Does she give up? She's persistent. Ask the question again. He goes analogy on her to kind of push back. She give up? No. She offended? Not that we know of. She's persistent. That work in your relationship with the Lord? Absolutely. Because she figured out who her target audience was. Her target audience wasn't anybody in Canaan. Her target audience was not anyone in another religion. She definitely knew that her target audience wasn't the disciples. They wanted to send her away. And so she fails to cater to any of those other things. She just says, Jesus, that's it. I'm going to pay attention to you. With enough persistence, Jesus turns and gives her compassion. And by the way, how persistent was Jesus with the disciples through this whole learning process? They're asking the wrong questions, trying to send people away. They don't know how to solve food when we've already done that before. Man, they're slow learners. 
Don't worry, I know none of you are. Just me and them. But I got this thing of adjusting to your target audience. And notice this. Uh, does Jesus adjust to his target audience? He does, doesn't he? He knows that the, the lame, the blind, the mute, the crippled, they're kind of his target audience. He goes up on that. What does he do? He heals them all. He adjusts to them. But maybe more importantly, hey, what are we going to do with these people? I can't send them away. They're hungry. It's like, well, where are we going to get food? I don't know how much you have. I got seven loaves. Great. Hand them to me. And having given thanks, first thing he does, addresses his target audience. Who's your target audience, folks? Hold on. Let me get my phone. I'll call Heitzman right now. God's your target audience, folks. Now, are you going to have other target audiences at, at times? Well, yeah. Do you know that God can do more than one thing at a time? Kind of expects you to have him as your target audience while he has you target someone else to bless, serve, minister, help, fix, heal, pray for. You catching the list? It was not a comprehensive list, by the way. It was meant to be a theme. God could give you more than one target. He's the first target for your attention. But you know, he'd give you other targets. Who do you lead? Who do you follow? Could they be target audiences that God wants you to influence? How different of people do you run into? Different beliefs, different backgrounds, different experiences. Could be like a Canaanite woman to you. Different country. God may want you to have them be a target of your blessing. Notice that they never uh, expect the target to adjust to the helper. Jesus kind of implies it, but then he comes around and he does the adjusting to her, doesn't he? Pretty cool. God's your target audience until you become their target audience. What's that mean? You start working for people, on people, with people, toward the benefit of other people, you might actually get their attention. And then they might decide to have you be a target audience where they actually pay attention to you and reciprocate or engage. They might actually come to church. That'd be kind of cool. We need some different people at church, right? And but also, and lastly, in this first section, she adopts his analogy. She adjusts to his analogy. Says, oh, we're doing kids and dogs? Great. Then let me tell you about tables and crumbs. Whew. So awesome. How well do you adjust to other people's analogies? Have you learned to adopt other people's vocabulary in the conversation while you're having it and use their vocabulary so that they can better understand 
And it's a sign of your cooperation and your compliance and your willingness to engage them on their level. Wow. So many people use phrases I don't like, I think are inefficient. And I use them anyways. Why? Because it makes sense to them. It's a great opportunity. Great opportunity. Hey, little rumor. Forgot about this uh, first service. Teased him with it and then forgot to come back and and hit him with the... They're they're all at home like, wonder what's the rumor? We never told us what the rumor is. Rumor has it that our own Bryce Turner over here wrote a song about this passage. Maybe we'll get to hear it at some point. Pretty cool, huh? So, number one, adjust your target audience. That's what Jesus did. We, by the way, by, uh, you notice that the, the verses are in that backwards order? 36, 32, 30. We're going the other direction backwards. You know what 36 is? And having given thanks. Jesus knew his target audience was God. First. Then his crowd and his disciples, maybe the Canaanite woman. But he gave thanks for the food before he broke it and passed it out to feed the crowd. He knew that his first and foremost target audience was God himself. Uh, Secondly, go to them and wait for them. Does it sound contradictory? Go to them and wait for them? But if I'm going to them, then I'm not waiting for them because I'm I'm going to them. I'm, I'm expediting, right? If I'm waiting for them, I need to wait. And they come to me. You met that person? I don't go to anybody. I wait for them to come to me. Oh, really? I'm glad you're so important. You know, really, it's both. What's the Canaanite woman do? Percy? She goes to Jesus. Then she waits. In a weird way, didn't Jesus go to Tyre and Sidon? He did. For what? She's the only piece of the story up there. And then he waits there. Is he waiting for her? Waiting for the disciples? Who knows? Maybe both. But we have to learn how to go to people, be proactive, do the work, and then we need to learn how to be patient and wait. That's persistent compassion, folks. Proactive and patient. Another way to say it might write it down and then by the way add desire to your faith to your persistent compassion add desire to he says to her oh woman great is your faith be it done to you as you desire i was guilt stricken and shamed for long long time because i had all these passions in me I thought that I had to squash them and control them because they were bad and evil. Then somebody freed me. Hey, Scott, uh, who gave you your emotions and your passions and your desires? So, I don't know. I'm supposed to say God, but I've been told my whole life that that's where sin comes from. Why did God give you desires, folks? So that once in a while... He could have it be done for you as you desire in your full pursuit of him. How cool is that? Now desire is not a problem, it's a tool. I love that. Because a hammer never built anything. 
A person built it. They just used a hammer. Desire, passions, add that to your faith. Add that to what you're pursuing. When you're going and you're waiting, remember what your desire is behind that. And no, it shouldn't drive everything, but guaranteed, although Percy didn't talk about her demon-possessed daughter in much of that conversation, except for once, you know in the back of her mind, she said, I am doing this to provide for my daughter. And Jesus acknowledges her desire as a positive thing. So what do you desire? Love that. Be persistent and compassion, but add a little desire in there so you know what's driving behind it. Make sure it's good and it's healthy and it's wholesome and righteous and that the Lord, you know, agrees with it. If you're not sure, just ask Jan Ash. She'll tell you. She's got all the answers. And then thirdly, commit to the condition of others. Commit to the condition of others. Love that when she shows up, she commits to his title, his position, his, his ability. She commits with persistence to stay at, kneel at his feet and wait. She doesn't question who he is because she gets a less than favorable response the first two times. Third time was a charm for her. Jesus commits to her condition as well, doesn't he? Oh, I norm, I normally we wouldn't speak, but you're okay with getting rid of cultural norms. So am I. Woman, great faith. Let's talk. You want your desires? Awesome. Your daughter's healed. Now. Jesus commits to the condition of the lame, the blind, the mute, the crippled. They brought all of them to him. It doesn't say he was selective. Jesus commits the condition of the disciples and says, okay, boys, let's go through this again. <laughs> I love that. Practice makes perfect. As coaches, right? Repetition. We have to learn how to commit to the condition of other people. We definitely need to learn how to commit to the condition of who God is. She commits to who he is. And he says, well, it's, it's kind of like you're a dog. She says, great. Here's your fill-in that's not a fill-in. I added this first service this morning. It's not on there. You're going to put it on there. Be the dog. If he calls you a dog, be the dog. And enjoy the benefits of being a dog. Go with the analogy and praise him that he didn't actually turn you into a dog. It was only analogy. If you start barking and peeing on fire hydrants, then you can complain. But if it's just an analogy, whatever analogy God gives you, go with it. Run with it. If he's called you to be something, be it. I told, I told a guy, I didn't tell first service this either. I told a guy, hey, I want to start a church. I want to be a pastor, plant a church. He says, great, start acting like it today. I don't have a church I don't have people. I'm not really a pastor and I've not started anything. He's like, yes, but act like it today. If that's the analogy that you're going with, if you think that's what God's called you, then act like it today. Act like it now, do it tomorrow, and don't ever look back. You know what, you know what scares the heck out of me? Well, one, why would people go to first service? Because they never hear, hear this good stuff. <laughs> Secondly, 
It, it really scares me that people call me pastor. It's humbling. I don't deserve it. I have very few answers. And I, I think that at least 51% of my role is a response of God's calling. He says, act like a pastor. You won't have the answers. You won't do everything right. People will hate you. They will leave the church. They will social media on you. And you're not to worry about that. Try to be a pastor. Be average if you have to. But be average in your pursuit of being what I've called you to be. And if I call you a dog, be a dog. So be the dog. Amen? And then enjoy it. Because we need to learn how to meet people where they're at. And if you're concerned about your condition or your title, what your hair looks like, or whether you're appreciated or not, you will be ineffective. Own who you are and then go out. Because in studying for this this week, I came across this. It's been messing with my head all week. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 11, because prior to that, he said, I want you to go. I want you to wait. I want you to be persistent and compassionate. I want you to free my people from Egypt. Get up. Get moving. I've trained you for all this time. I am calling you the leader. Go be the leader. He says, no, I can't. My vocabulary is small. I'm not good at speaking. Send someone else. Send me away, he says, kind of like this. I was, then the Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? We commit to their condition because who gave them that condition? Who put them in that condition? Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. God is in control of all things. And if they can't speak for a little while, who did it? Just like I believe God will give me the desire of my heart at times, I believe God will tell me no sometimes in ways that I don't like, and I believe that God can cause difficult things to happen. Because I am trying to learn that he is in control of absolutely all things, the ones I call good, the ones I mistakenly call bad, the things I've titled a limit, but maybe aren't. They might actually open more doors. But I can't read the book of Job without acknowledging the fact the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Whoever you run into or whoever you are in whatever condition God do that? Are you trying to get your attention? Is he making an absolute statement about truth for all time? Or might he be fishing? Had to ask some of those questions this week. Freaking out. I don't have control. 
most of the things that are going on I would call bad. No, it's Sunday morning. All the surgeries went well. Shut up, Scott. Why don't you listen? You're asking all the wrong questions. In fact, maybe when God's silent, maybe you should be silent too. Amen? What do you need to be more persistent in? Who do you need to be more persistent with? Where could compassion change your world? And what are their names? Who's your Percy? And who are your basket cases? <laughs> Lord, forgive us. Help us to be persistently compassionate. Help us to know our target audience and then, Lord, to go and wait. Help us to trust that you are fully aware and in control of every condition, of every person. And all the way up to the Canaanite woman, you care about them. Show us how to do that, Lord. Show us what great faith looks like. Help us to integrate desire. And then, Lord, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. And we trust that it's yours and that you will do with it as you please. And we just ask that we get to be part of the game. Give us a, a uniform, Lord. Let us play too. Show us how. Thank you for all this, Lord. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.